Hi, I'm Julia Adolph, and welcome to Loose Leaf Notebook, where we will explore the connection between creativity and mental health, nurturing artistry, emotional intelligence, and self-care. I'm a composer, and I will be sharing my own personal creative process and journey towards mental health, as well as inviting other artists and creative individuals to share their own inspiring stories with you. Today, I am joined by conductor and composer Daniela Candelari. Daniela has appeared at many important opera houses and concert halls, including LA Opera, New York Philharmonic, Opera Philadelphia, Cincinnati Opera, and the Prototype Festival. Daniela shares how she's been staying connected to her creativity during the pandemic, specifically with a newfound love of pottery and gardening, and the surprising truths that she has learned about herself and her musicality during this time. Daniela reflects on her experience of performance anxiety and why memories of her time living through the wars in former Yugoslavia have returned to her during the pandemic. Hi, Daniela. Hi, Julia. How are you doing? I'm, um, I'm well. <laughs> how, are, how are you? <laughs> so this is, this is Kikiriki. It means peanut in Serbian. So I'd, I'd just love to hear kind of how this time has been for you? This year, I think, was really unexpected in many, many ways. I, I think all of us were sort of taken by surprise when the pandemic hit and when suddenly our work was gone. I had connected my identity so much to my work that yeah. once all of that was gone, I felt like, who am I suddenly? You know, if I can't make music, who am I? And what do I bring to this world? You know, if I can't do this, how else can I express myself? I talked to my sister about this because I was, you know, upset and, and sad. And I think like everyone else, she asked me, well, wh what do you want? Do you want to just work like the whole time? <laughs> and now I can laugh at that because it's, it's such an extreme description of what we do. Mm -hmm. But I think like, yeah, I want to work, but I don't want to work all the time. Right. But I think the biggest, the biggest difference for artists and musicians and athletes is that what we do since early, early age inherently ends up becoming who we are. Yeah. You know, I think it really shapes us to be the people that we become and sort of taking that, taking that off, taking that, you know, coat off yeah. from us really feels like naked and vulnerable and yeah. um and unknown right as somebody who likes to be organized and likes to sort of have the answers before i've asked the questions already mm -hmm. um i started seeing this time of shutdown which we spent in in michigan um i started seeing it as sort of like blessing in disguise you know maybe i can catch up on sleep um <laughs> i've there was i remember that there was a a week in January when I was working on two different productions at the same time, I was rehearsing three times a day in three different locations. And I caught myself on the A train going to my first rehearsal, mm -hmm. sort of not remembering is like, do I exit now at Lincoln Center or do I continue yeah. down to Wall Street? It was, it was wild. Yeah. And so when, you know, when this sort of lockdown happened, I thought, well, this is going to be okay. Um, right. 
because I'll catch up on sleep. I can catch up on some work. I can start preparing the other program that I have to do. And for about first six weeks, I was incredibly productive, surprisingly. But then one after another production kept on getting canceled and or postponed. And about six weeks of sort of not seeing the end to this, I hit the wall. And I thought, I mean, what am I what am I doing? Why am I preparing these pieces that now are going to be postponed? They may never get performed again. Mm -hmm. I, I just had no idea. And I actually allowed myself to go to the grieving process of work lost, of identity lost, mm -hmm. um, and then slowly came back out of that. Um, and what has been what has been really helpful here in Michigan specifically, um, my husband and I have a small cabin and it has this beautiful garden in the back that has not been attended to at all. And I thought, well, I'm going to devote myself to gardening. I'm going to do something that I've never done before. And gardening has been incredible. Um, it was, it just offered a really sort of meditative practice mm -hmm. every day. And it also offered a way to participate in a process through all of this what i think has been the hardest challenge or the the hardest question to answer is this idea that there is no deadline yes that we yes. know how long this is going to go and so going through that process where you think in three weeks i can see this thing sprout on you know i can sort of like tend to my own garden it um that was really refreshing it was a very different pace than what i'm used to in in life um but it was really a refuge and a sort of happy hobby like something that just brought me joy every single day and then slowly i started uh dwelling is that the word <laughs> into pottery oh yeah yeah um Delving, yes, yes. There's a fantastic potter here in town, uh, Peter Johnson. I stopped by this year and I said, just like, do you offer lessons? And so I've been taking lessons with him now. It, it sort of like really started opening my eyes to different thoughts or ideas in music hmm. um, that I'm connotating with the art of making something. Mm -hmm. um, but again, what I think has been really satisfying is having this idea of participating in a process that you can actually see go through an end. It's very fulfilling being able to make something that within 15 minutes, you can say this might work or this may not work. Yes. And you can start from scratch or you can try and fix it and then see wherever that takes you. I understand. I mean, something that I've been enjoying with the podcast too, is that it's something that can be done in a day. You know, it's, right. you can see it from beginning to end and you have right. this product and then right. you can share it. And I right. have been sharing your, your photos. <laughs> My photos, pottery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been really fun. Um, but you know, I was thinking about the, the, exactly what you said that you're working through a product and you can deliver it. And I work mainly in opera and our production periods are usually five, six weeks long when gearing up to the premiere but of course yes. there is you know with newer works there is the process of the workshop but there is a finish line that you know you have to get, get to yeah. Yeah. and and sort of right now that finish line can you know happen tomorrow it can happen in six months and just the sort of instability of time um it, it has taught me a lot about myself and about my work and relationships and so on i i'd love to hear um 
what you learned from pottery about music making. Oh my God. The, working on the sculptures, just the, the play of balance in things. Um, the shapes that, for instance, you can see that might work, may not work. Um, I actually think a lot about the work of composers, of you know how you how you choose an idea, how you develop it. Peter is also a really strong classical music fan, and it's been great because he has the Blue Lake Arts Radio playing on all the time. It's been sort of like this this marriage of listening to classical music, something that I'm very familiar with, right. and doing pottery, something that I'm not familiar with at all, and that I'm just learning. It's sort of like trying to also see how music inspires me in the moment when I'm working on something, sort of what that evokes, what emotion that is. Um, sort of like finding if there's any movement in the pottery that I detect in music or vice versa. The biggest sort of lesson with pottery has been, um, there's this great moment. So centering is, I find the hardest thing for possibly everyone. Um, sort of learning how to center clay and learning when it's right. Um, it's spinning, right? Is ex exactly, spinning? exactly. Oh, it's yeah. it's okay. spinning and when you need to sort of center clay before yeah. you start opening it and, and so on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Learning that idea about centering and what it needs to feel like um, and how much actually there is a trust and control balance between the two oh, yeah. uh, has been incredible. And I often think about that in you know, reflecting back on rehearsals of how much is my job of sort of controlling a piece and letting musicians and music speak, of sort of the, finding that perfect balance where you can step outside and, and just let everybody do what they're doing and you can navigate that a little bit and then pieces that really need focus and attention and, and finding that balance in a really um, organic way. Peter talks, he talks about this moment of controlling the clay enough that it goes where it needs to go, but also letting room that it can breathe. Yeah. So that you're not controlling everything. And I think, you know, for conductors, we have, we should have the answers to the piece and we have the biggest overview of, of, the piece and we have our idea how it is. But I think there's also an incredible um, beauty in in sort of letting the piece go and and relinquishing your ideas for sort of the idea of this ensemble, of this hall, of this space, of what this piece means right now. And you're a composer too. I mean, I imagine that it, it, it sounds analogous to the, the writing process as well. I think so. I am the type of person who wants to like know what I'm going to write and how this piece should look yeah. um, and feel. One of the hardest parts of writing, I think, is mm -hmm. accepting that you don't know where the piece is going to go and actually letting it kind of talk back to you. Right. I, I agree. I think there's, there's an element of play mm -hmm. that was perhaps missing in me inside. And so sort of learning these skills in a, in a different level uh, has somehow opened up the channels to think about things differently and to consider some different strategies, perhaps. I've been asking myself this whole time, what can I, how can I also grow as a musician and as a person and sort of noticing how much I need of uh, specificity in my life and how much I need of playtime and sort of 
loose time mm -hmm. has been um, incredibly useful to get to know that side of myself, which, um, yeah, I haven't really had in the chat in the past. So the loose playtime is newer. The loose playtime is newer. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, there's this actually fantastic book by Srini Pillai. He has this book that's called uh, Tinker, Dabble, Doodle, Try. <laughs> and it's awesome. So he talks about this idea that hard work and sort of like pushing ourselves to our limits is not always the best thing for us. Right. that we have to find time in in our day to just like step aside and play and do a puzzle and let our sort of like brain rewire itself that the resting period is as important as the working period yeah i'm definitely one of those people that works until exhaustion and then you know then like i need a day or two right to recoup myself um so this hopefully has taught me not to do that ever again in my life ever again that's amazing. yeah but we'll see yeah. <laughs> we'll no, see <laughs> it's 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 fascinating how once once you get a taste of that like you don't want to go back to, I, mean, um, I feel that way like, <laughs> i don't know i just i never want to stay up all night writing again you know when i'm when i'm conducting and when i'm on the road initially i thought oh i can do both i can you know being uh rehearsal period for six hours every day and then I can come back home and write for like two hours that never works it does not work for me so again when when things started shutting down my first sort of place of of rescue in a way yeah. and refuge was oh I'm going to write all of these pieces that I've been putting off because I've been busy with other stuff um and then again you know you start asking your questions well what's the deadline and I don't have a deadline, so do I need to do this today, or can I come back to it when I, when I actually feel more centered and and yeah. when I feel there that I'm saying something rather than just you know putting notes on a paper. So how have you been kind of reimagining your day? I actually have a semi sort of semi structured day right now, mm -hmm. um, as as sort of organized and almost OCD as I was in the beginning of really timing, you know, my yoga practice from, I don't know, 3 p.m. until 4 p.m. Um, and being really rigid with those time constraints. Yes. Um, now I've become a little bit looser in just sort of reminding myself what my daily routine is, which includes uh, yoga, meditation and reading and learning a language. So I go, I like at some point I have to go through all of these four. In okay. what succession they happen does not matter. So it gives me a little bit more room to breathe in a way. And then I, again, I mark in my calendar, this is, this is a time when I want to study. But what I study, I ch literally choose on the day of, because right now, again, I'm not, you know, under any sort of right. uh, push or, or, or time limit yes. where I have to say, well, in a week, I need to know this piece. Right. Um, so there's that flexibility and that luxury of time. Yeah. I've been meaning to, to ask you actually, you know, if you've been able to write during this time or is it something that's been hard? It's been hard for me to, yeah. to, to be writing, Yeah. but I, I have been doing it more. Mm -hmm. I just sort of have come to accept that it just takes a little bit longer and I do a little bit less each day. Right. Than I than in normal times. Right. I think I think that that sort of realization of 
or, or these conversations that we're having now with ourselves of what is normal and you know what I can sort of push off until tomorrow and come back to it. I think uh, that has been sort of life changing for me because again, I'm so since I was you know six, I was in music and there was constant drive to do this and to do that, and there was there was sort of this like schedule that you you know I at least followed this like regime rudimentary that was just like you have to do this you have to do that and so on and and right now I find that actually when I when I do study music when I do when I do listen to music that I actually hear things differently and I I see things that I haven't seen before I hear things that I haven't heard before so I think that in regular life whatever that happens that I think we need to remind ourselves that of the things that we learned this year and how they uh, enriched our lives actually. And not, you know, it's, it's tragic what's happening everywhere. It's, um, it's unprecedented, which we all know. I'm still training myself to, to somehow trust the process, to trust that I, that I personally need to go through this. Maybe that all of us need to go through this. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that, we could come and hang out in Michigan with with my husband's mom and his family. I know not a lot of people have that luxury, but sort of thinking about that, um, I think maybe something this year had to happen in order to remind me of the space that I need, the practices that I need to continue. I think that self-reflection time is incredibly important for all of us. You know, if we want to grow, if we want to learn new things, if we want to keep on educating ourselves, um, I think that quiet time just needs to happen. Now yeah. this year we got more of it than we ever hoped for. <laughs> we ever but want again, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you were saying that you you are listening to music differently now, and why why is that? You know, when you when you sort of work towards a goal of performing, I don't think there's always a resting period that's allowed. Right. Um, what ends what ends up happening to me every single time I'm in production in about week two, I will stop sleeping and my sleep schedule gets so messed up. I like if I get three, four hours of sleep at night, that's amazing. And that happens because I literally catch myself at night thinking about every single phrase and thinking like, oh, what is this phrase saying? What is this phrase doing? Where do I want it to go? Where does it show up again? And those are obviously conversations that I have during the day with, you know, conscious mind. Right. But then there's something about the rest period where the brain keeps on working without me really wanting to do that. (laughs) And then I sort of gear myself towards this performance. I I tend to learn pieces almost by memory by the time we're performing. Again, no matter how complicated they are, there is a very strong memory. But then I also sort of like forget it after a week, you know, like I move on to the next piece and then I'm just like, okay, what did I do last week? I don't remember. (laughs) And so I really think that this, the the quiet time now has actually allowed my brain to retain the information much better. Mm. And because of that, to hear things differently. But one question that I keep on asking myself is what will that first rehearsal back with Mm. people really feel like? What will that be like? I know. (laughs) And there was, uh, we, we were listening to Swan Lake the other day and with the beautiful cello solo i just started weeping i mean i had no idea where that came from but it was just you know 
downpour. Uh, but I also do always wonder when we're back working yeah. in a known environment, what will that be like? And I'm, I'm quite excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. In the sort of midst of your incredibly busy schedule, which sounds like it started in childhood, potentially. <laughs> um, when did you start to develop like a, a self-care practice or yeah, implement that into your mm-hmm. life? So uh, both my, my mom and my dad were actually athletes. Um, oh. And the idea of um, mental work and mental preparation was sort of around me from an early age. I didn't really know what it meant until I had to go through the process of learning how to meditate. And that happened when I was 15, mm-hmm. no, 14. I started out as a pianist and I had the most horrible performance experience where whatever happened, whatever the trigger was for that one performance, I just could not collect myself. I could not collect my nerves. I could not sort of like think clearly. Nothing was making sense. I I mean, it literally felt like my body and my brain were on a different level than where I was. Mm -hmm. And it was quite Uh, It was a really uncomfortable feeling, actually. And I was talking to my piano teacher at the time. And she recommended that I uh, I seek out a counselor at our music school Mm -hmm. and start talking to him about that. And so he started working with me and he introduced me to the very, very simple sort of meditative practice uh, that then I started doing every day. And in talking to my mom, she said that the mental practice was always part of their routine. Mm. No matter what, they would dedicate 30 minutes every day to sort of going through a routine of mental practice. So meditation essentially started being part of my life since I was 14. It helped me a lot with my performance anxiety that I had initially. And you know, when I think back, it's so like, we don't know these things when they happen. But when I thought about why did I suddenly get to have performance anxiety when I was 14, when, you know, for seven, eight years before that, I was functioning perfectly. Um, I remember there was a trigger that a girl that was like performing before me asked me, oh, are you not nervous? (laughs) And I was like, no, I'm not. So if I'm not, is there something wrong? Like, Mm -hmm. should I be nervous? So it was incredible to, you know, now looking back to think that like how we think that being nervous is okay. And of course, being nervous in a way is okay because it obviously shows that you care about something. But if it's like, it should never be this limiting fear. It should never be something that limits you from expression. I'm kind of curious, just, you know, you're a conductor and you kind of work in the medium of time and how time moves. People... (laughs) feel like time has been completely warped. I feel like time moves really quickly and then it moves Mm -hmm. very, very slowly. Slowly. And that it can kind of do both of those things in a given day, which is exhausting. I'm just curious, um, have you had any sort of new observations about time during this period? I think human emotion sometimes still does not let you be, be neutral in time. I think this idea of, of how we perceive time really goes to sort of the inside of ourselves. And 
I found myself when I enjoy stuff, when I'm when I'm doing something where I'm completely engrossed and in, engaged in, time flies by. Um, I always think of my my first rehearsal ever that I run with a, a, a choir, and going into that rehearsal, I was incredibly nervous, thinking like, "Oh, am I ready enough? You know, what if I have nothing to say?" what if they are perfect already like what what am i going to bring to the table and i found that process so incredibly satisfying of going through a rehearsal of of being there of making music that what i literally thought felt like five minutes ended up being three hours of rehearsal <laughs> and so now that we need to look for stimulus outside of our known parameters uh, time is definitely very, very different. You know, we need to show show up and do some work. It may not be the work that we want to do right now, uh, or it may not be work that we ever thought we would need to do, but just showing up and doing that and sort of applying ourselves to something, um, I think regains that element of, of confidence and expression and, and finding yourself again in in almost in losing yourself in one way, finding yourself in who you are back through something different. I also think I went through through this conversation with many of my friends of finding value in different things in our lives mm -hmm. um, and how or or how little value we've been giving to certain aspects. Right. Um, you know, I'm from I'm not from United States. I immigrated here in um, eight years ago. And one really big downfall of this year was the fact that I wasn't able to see my sister. Yeah. She lives in Serbia. My mom lives in Slovenia. My mom was able to come and visit um, and I was able to see her, but I have not seen my sister in more than a year. And it just, I knew that was important. I did not know how much I have to make that a priority in my life to spend time with my family, to sort of figure out whatever I need to do to go back to Serbia, to visit my sister and to, to visit my mom in Slovenia. When everything started shutting down in March, I was talking to my mom and I was asking her, well, you know, how are you dealing with this? And have you experienced anything like this in your life in the past? And bear in mind, my, my dad was born in 41. So like just as the first of uh, the second world war was starting, sorry. Yeah. And then all of my family lived through the war in the 90s that we had right. in Yugoslavia. So essentially, in my family, there was at least one person who saw two wars. And so I asked my mom, have you ever been through anything like this? She said in the 70s, I think 72, um, there was an outbreak of, of uh, uh, smallpox that was really, really deadly. It sort of like decimated the people of Yugoslavia. But they closed the country down for about a month until that got under control. And she said she just remembers sort of that episode in her life. Yeah, but nobody expected this to go on this long, even, you know, <laughs> yeah, not that nothing could have prepared any of us for this. Do you have certain memories of uh, your time in the 90s that feel reminiscent of, of sort of the chaos we feel today? A little bit. I actually moved with my mom to Slovenia uh, in the 90s. And there was a period because of the war. Slovenia had a civil war that lasted about 10 days. And then they secluded themselves from Yugoslavia. 
And then the war kept on sort of raging, mainly in Bosnia, but involved it involved Croatia and Serbia. There was a period, for instance, when the borders with Serbia were closed and all of my family was back in Serbia. My my dad and my sister and all of my grandmothers, um, aunts and uncles and so on. And I just had no idea when was the next time that I would be able to see them. So it took about four years for me and my sister to visit each other again. And it was, I mean, it was brutal. I just, I just think nobody should ever go through that. Nobody should ever not be able to see their parents or their family or their brother or sister. I mean, that is just sort of out of question. Um, but that uncertainty of, you know, will it be possible to travel? Will it not be possible to travel? What are the risks? Uh, what if the border closes down again? And it was just, it, I mean, it sort of like seems unreal in a way. Yeah. It, it, it literally like looks like a really dark movie that right. you do not want to participate in. Right. Um, and then, you know, in 99, uh, the bombing happened of Serbia. All of my family was basically affected by it. And again, they couldn't come stay with us. We couldn't go visit them. Um, I remember it was April 1st, which is my sister's birthday. And I was listening to the radio in Slovenia, and they said that the bombs had fallen on the bridge that was 500 meters away from my grandma's apartment. Mm-hmm. And the first thought that you have is just like, is, is that area okay? Is my family okay? You know, what is happening? And of course, before you see it, you don't really know. So, I mean, we got out of that. I hope, you know, (laughs) we get out of this. I strongly believe that every sort of tragedy that happens or every bad thing that happens that can teach us something better. Um, So I do think that the year of 2020 is a year of, great lessons yeah. of that we continue in in life and that we implement in our lives wholeheartedly um yeah well thank you so much for thank you this you know being so open and honest about your experience during this time absolutely um, thank you for inviting me and for yeah for for having these conversations so if listeners want to find you or hear your work where should they go mm-hmm. Uh, my website, www.danielacandelari.com, is the best place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, uh, but all of those are linked in the website. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> I think Daniela's story is a wonderful reminder that you never know when a new activity that you take on just on a whim for fun can really teach you something about yourself and about what you love and what matters most to you and can even give you insight into your creativity. I think it's so inspiring that Daniela has this view that even in the most difficult circumstances, we can find ways to connect with ourselves and to even grow and transform. I think it does take time to understand yourself and figure out what you want and need and that that time is worth it. So thank you, Daniela, for joining us, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Loose Leaf Notebook. I'm Julia Adolf, and the music you are hearing is my orchestral work, Dark Sand Sifting Light, 
performed by the New York Philharmonic with Alan Gilbert conducting. If you'd like to hear some more of my music, you can visit my website at juliaadolf.com or my YouTube channel, which also has video versions of all of these podcasts. Thanks again.